0: Illinois is just one of 16 states that allows those who were formerly incarcerated to vote. But many of those who serve time don't realize it, don't get registered, or simply don't vote. Well, organizations in Illinois have been teaming up to change that. The Illinois Coalition to End Permanent Punishments wants to mobilize the over 3 million formerly incarcerated people living in the state to help them exercise their rights. With us now is Greg Chambers, policy organizer for Live Free Illinois. That's one of the organizations in that coalition. Welcome to Reset, Greg.
1: Thank you very much. Thank you for having me.
0: Tell us a little bit about Live Free Illinois and how you got involved with the organization.
1: Well, Live Free Illinois is a faith based organization that works to bring black churches together in the community to work towards issues of uh, mass incarceration, Mm -hmm. police violence, gun violence, and voting, bringing people to the polls. And we are a subsidiary of Live Free USA, uh, which is uh, actually founded, and the president is uh, Pastor Michael McBride.
0: I see. So I'm curious, Greg, when people are released from prison, right, do they get any information about what rights are restored at that point?
1: Absolutely. People are, when they're released from prison, you get a voting packet that tells you that you actually have the right to vote once you are released from prison. And so uh, there, but there are a lot of people who, uh, for whatever reason, uh, don't know that or they don't realize that. Mm-hmm. Maybe
0: Are they just not reading the packet that they received? That
1: may be the case. I can't speak to that mm-hmm. indivi- uh, as, uh, individually speaking. However, but there are so many people who actually don't know that they have the right to vote. And sometimes it's not just from what you hear in the state of Illinois, but it's from other states as well. So you have other states that are saying uh, where people don't have the right to vote and this message is being uh, disseminated. Across the country,
0: yeah. And who is giving you that packet?
1: The Department of Corrections gives that packet. When the person who leaves the Department of Corrections, that person receives a voter engagement packet. So the
0: day that you're leaving, you get it, or does it come it, out later?
1: It comes out within the last three months, or within the last three to six months of your uh, of leaving the Department of Corrections.
0: I see. I see. So tell us more about your story. You you were formally incarcerated yourself, and I wonder if you realized right away that you had the right to vote when you were released.
1: Well, yes, I, I am formerly incarcerated and uh when uh, it wasn't really a question to me because I've uh I've always been a voter. Uh I've always been a voter and when when I was leaving the Department of Corrections, I wanted to find out as much information about my reentry as possible. And so, I would reach out to outside sources, I would reach out to people that I know on the outside, people that I know on the inside, and any kind of information that I would get, I would um read it. And uh, I knew that when I left that I had the right to vote uh, immediately after leaving.
0: Yeah. But still, you're saying it is pretty common that folks don't realize that they have that right. How? Tell me some of the stories you're hearing from people.
1: Well, OK. Uh, some people say some people think that once they get out that they have to finish parole in order to vote. And that's not the case. You don't have to finish parole in order to vote. You can vote while you're on parole or which is commonly referred to now as mandatory supervised release. Mm -hmm. So when you're on mandatory supervised release, uh, it doesn't, it is not an impediment to voting. You can vote. You can go to the polls, you can register to vote and you can vote. As a matter of fact, uh, when I was released, I was released approximately two months before voting in the, in the election and I registered to vote and I voted. And, And I voted, uh, albeit by mail. But I voted because there were many ways to vote,
0: and know. there was no hesitation on your part.
1: There was no hesitation on my part. No. Why? I put placed myself in a position where I could hit the ground running, and uh, but through networking, through networking with some of the organizations that I work with today, uh, I uh, one of my associates, uh, one of my associates who works for the lieutenant governor, uh, also gave me information about uh, information about. Uh, re-entering society and I would take that information and I would share it with as much as many people as I could um, and I was also working with the Community Renewal Society. I got information about Live Free. I got information about Cabrini Green Legal Aid mm-hmm. and all these different organizations and I would also contact these inf- these organizations but everyone is not that proactive with regard to that.
0: Well you were determined to make the best of your re-entry. Absolutely. I'm thinking of of the fact that, you know, besides just simply not knowing that they have the right to vote, whether there are other barriers that formerly incarcerated people face when it comes to voting. I mean, are are people, did you get the sense, you know, having talked to folks as as well out in the community, that maybe they think, my vote won't count?
1: Absolutely. And, And not just talking to folks outside of the community, but talking to uh, talking to people inside the Department of Corrections. Yeah. See, you, when, inside the Department of Corrections, there are so many people who are interested in the voting process, and and I mean, they watch the return election, the election day returns, the votes return turning and things like that, and they get engaged and they wish that they could vote, and um, they wish they could vote then. And there is actually a movement to get voting in prison uh, by, by supporting oh, really? SB eight twenty eight. SB eight twenty eight is the piece of legislation that uh, is currently pending. Uh, that would allow up to 35, of the 30,000 people who are uh, incarcerated in the Department of Corrections the right to vote. Uh, that right has already been given to people who are in county jails. And now that right will, uh, pre- in the event that this, this legislation is passed, yeah. that right will be extended to people who are in the Department of Corrections.
0: This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. And if you're just tuning in, we are discussing efforts to help those returning from prison, exercise their right to vote. And I'm talking with Greg Chambers, who's a policy organizer for Live Free Illinois. So, Greg, about a month ago, we spoke to one of your colleagues, Marlon Chamberlain, from the Heartland Alliance's Fully Free campaign. Uh, we were talking to him about permanent punishments, and this is how he summed it up.
1: Permanent punishments, what what that means to me is that this is basically a legal sanction that allows employers, landlords, uh, different educational entities to legally discriminate against people because of their record. And I also just would say that permanent punishment laws are a continuation of redlining or Jim Crow laws um, is just a continuation of what we've seen in the past.
0: I see you nodding there, Greg. It feels like our discussion now is a continuation of what I talked with, with Marlon about.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, And you you talked about me being on the uh, Working for Live Free as a policy organizer. Yeah. And uh, our esteemed executive director is Reverend Sierra Bates Chamberlain, who is the wife of Marlon Chamberlain. I see. And uh, so, but but anyway, more to that point, we believe that we can be the architects of policy uh, rather than the object of policy.
0: Explain the difference.
1: Well, the difference is this as the architects of policy you create policy you create policy you get into the legislative process and you make things happen as the object of policy you wait for things to happen against you mm-hmm. and that's what happens people are there are groups organizations people who actually sit down and create laws about system impacted people about formerly incarcerated people about currently incarcerated people and they have no clue mm-hmm. The bottom line is we are the experts on this matter. Those of us who are formerly incarcerated, those of us who are currently incarcerated, those of us who have been in carceral settings, we are the experts on the matter. And we can be the controller of of our destiny, of our fate.
0: So talk to me more about that. For for people who have served time, are there policies that you emphasize, Greg, that really matter to their day-to-day lives?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely like some of the policies that we're working on right now. And I'm going to talk about, uh, I know Marlon talk, talked about fully free and our fully free campaign is to get rid of all those permanent punishments that are, that we have identified on the books. There are hundreds of laws on the books that serve as barriers that actually that we call them permanent punishments. They serve as barriers to reentry. And this is in the in the area of housing, in the area of education in the area of employment, mm-hmm. and just simply basic human needs. And these laws prevent people from accessing this. And these laws have to be removed from the books. But not only that, we actually advocate and we sit as a, on a, as a part of a coalition for Clean Slate Illinois. And that Clean Slate Illinois co- that coalition is designed to create a path to get rid of those barriers, a path to to have those records that exist that people use to discriminate against formerly incarcerated people, yeah. those arrest records, those conviction records, to have those records automatically sealed after a period of time and automatically expunged after a, an, a, another period of time. And so we're working to get this done. And so we're working at so many levels. But I want to tell you something else because we're talking about voting. Yeah, Now we, we as a part of our coalition, Marlon and I and a whole group of coalition members in Illinois we traveled down to Atlanta Georgia 2 weeks ago really? and with the with the formerly incarcerated convicted people and families movement and what we ended up doing is we ended up canvassing we did door to door canvassing down there we did text banking we did phone banking and what we did is in one day we reached 97,000 people Were you potential voters them to vote? Yes, we were asking them to vote. And on the first day of early voting in in Georgia, they realized 131,000 votes. We like to think that we had an impact on
0: yeah, that. Yeah, I think you might have. I think you might have for sure. Are, are there any particular issues in this upcoming election, Greg, that you think are particularly interesting or important for the formerly incarcerated?
1: Absolutely. Well, first of all, the... The Safer Act, the Safer Act, which is about jobs and employment, mm-hmm. uh, its chief sponsor is uh, State Representative Justin Slaughter. But also the Pretrial Fairness Act, the Pretrial Fairness Act, which is an act which which eliminates cash bail. It eliminates cash bail. Now there's a lot of negative talk going out about that, about how dangerous it is, or whatever. But all it does is it takes money out of the equation. It takes money out of the equation. It's ridiculous that in this day and age that people are confined solely on the basis of their economic status. That should not be the case. If you're going to tell me that a person who commits the most heinous crime can get out by posting a million dollars bail if he has a million dollars to post. But the other person who commits that same crime can't get out because he doesn't have that money. Mm -hmm. Usually the people who don't have that money are black and brown people. But those are just some issues there that those are just two issues that we're talking about. But the other issue is the free act, which is family's right to estate equity. And that is a fully free campaign act. And, And in that sense, what that does is there's a law in the books that actually says that if you are a convicted felon, you cannot serve as executor or administrator of a loved one's estate. That is the person who manages a will by choice. Right. Executor is the person someone chooses to manage their will. So a mother or a father, a sister or a brother, a husband or a wife who chooses a person who happens to have a, a conviction on his or her record to manage their estate cannot do that legally. Mm-hmm. And we think that's ridiculous. And we think that's one of those permanent punishments that needs to be removed from the books.
0: So are you all helping people prepare to make informed decisions on, on these ballots? Because as a person who votes regularly. I'm Mm -hmm. speaking of myself here. It sometimes gets intimidating when you go and you look at this long list of of judges and Mm -hmm. and so forth uh, on the ballot. Are you having those discussions as well?
1: We are having those discussions. We're working with an organization called Chicago Votes. And Chicago Votes actually puts out a guide, a voter's guide. And uh, it puts out a voter's guide to address those issues right there. So you but, know
0: who's who and, absolutely. and what they do. And- especially
1: judicial, especially judicial selections. Many times you go in there and you're looking at the judicial. You got a uh, 50 judges who are running for office. You don't know anything about any one of them. Yeah. You don't know uh, their record as far as uh, convicting or whatever they do on the bench. Yes. You don't know any of that. Right. But, but I want to speak to another thing. We, Marlon and I, and a whole group of people who support us and are in coalition with us, we go around the state. We've traveled to Waukegan. We've traveled to Rockford. we tra- traveled to Rock Island and Quad Cities. We've traveled to East St. Louis and Springfield, Champaign, Carbondale,
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, Bloomington, uh, Peoria, Decatur. We've been all over the state mobilizing people, especially formerly incarcerated people, to vote.
0: So, as I mentioned at the top, we've got over 3 million formerly incarcerated people in this state. So what do you think would be possible if all three million voted?
1: Anything, anything. The the sky's the limit. The bottom line is this. The reason why it's important to get out here and vote is because, again, we want to be the architects of policy, not not the object of policy. Right. And a lot of times when people are in office who don't represent our values? Who don't represent our morals, our values, our concerns, our everyday concerns? Those people are the people that we can get out of office. Yeah. A lot of people in a lot of people get into office by a few votes. You know, in the city of Chicago, in the mayoral election, you can't win that unless you get fifty percent of the vote or more. Right. If you get less than that, you have to go into a runoff. So here's my question. If you don't like a particular mayor, if you don't like a particular state representative, if you don't like a state senator, if you don't like a governor, what, wh- whatever the position is, if you don't like that person in office and that person is not doing what you want them to do, then just vote them out. But you can't do it by yourself. Correct. You, there's a coalition of people. You can add these votes up together. Yeah. And so if we have 3.3 million people who are formally incarcerated or system-impacted, in the state of Illinois, where there's only 11 million people there,
0: yeah, we can sway every election. Could be a very powerful thing.
1: A very powerful thing.
0: Greg Chambers is policy organizer for Live Free Illinois. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you. I appreciate you.